December 6th is going to be a big day. In the evening, we have the Christmas shop. For our three services in the morning, former Attorney General John Ashcroft is going to be our speaker here. And we're bringing him here for one purpose, and that is for you to be able to invite your friends, family members, people out in the community, folks at work, and say, hey, would you like to listen to a man who is very famous, uh, a, a man who is written about in history books and stuff like that. He will be here. He is going to be our speaker. He is not going to give a political presentation. He will be preaching from God's Word. And um, you're, you'll, you'll be blessed, and so will the people you bring. At this time, I'd like to invite those of you who are able to kneel with me as we pray. Father in heaven, as we think about the church and the church family, on the list that we're praying for, attendance is where we're at this week. And we pray for those that are here in attendance. We pray that they will be richly, wonderfully blessed by you. That their lives will be changed. That they will have a greater focus and know where they've come from and where they're going. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that others that you want here, that they will come. And uh, we're asking that there will be such a presence from you here that everyone who comes up on this hill, who comes into this facility, who gets involved in any way, they would sense your presence. Lord, I'm asking that these dear people, they came out here to worship you today. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would draw them close to you now as we open your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> My father used to like to tell the story about my brother, Tom. Tom is 16 months younger than me, and he was playing with one of the neighbor children. Tom was probably in the third or fourth grade when this story took place. We lived in a big house up there in northern Michigan. My parents bought it, and as is typical of many of the old homes up there, the basement in the center of the basement was the big furnace, and then it had its uh, tentacles running up to the different vent, you know, in, in the floor. It was rather an imposing figure, especially when you were a little boy. Well, the ceiling down in the basement wasn't very tall in this particular house. You had to duck a little bit if you were a full-grown man. But as children, we could scoot in and out of there pretty easy. Off in one corner, there was a little room Maybe it had been a place where they stored food or something at one time, but the previous owners to us, uh, the man had made a little bit of a shop area there. There was a bench and a place to do some woodworking. Well, <clears throat> my dad used that area to keep his fishing supplies and some of his hunting things and just his stuff. He had a box. And that's what my brother was looking at. My brother opened this box and was showing all the things to the neighbor boy. It was a box that had pocket knives in it, maybe a compass or two, a money clip, 
memorabilia from my dad's time in the army, just stuff that would be really cool to a young boy. And my dad happened to be downstairs and he was listening to my brother describe all this stuff to the neighbor. And finally, my brother said, look at all the neat things we'll get when my dad dies. <laughs> Sad that a man would be described by what is in a box. Even more sad that God would be put into a box in order to describe Him. I'd like to study that with you today. Please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. We continue our journey with Moses. They've come to Mount Sinai. And in this story, God has already appeared to them. And then later, Moses went up on the mount alone. Joshua accompanied him, but did not go all the way to the top. Moses is up there, and uh, we're going to begin the story of verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And God said to Moses, Go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Well, the story continues and we will read more about the story in the future. But note that in this story there are three groups identified. Two are individuals. There's Moses, there's Aaron, and then there is the people, the group of people there. And we're going to study each of those experiences. Today, we're going to deal with the people. Let's start in verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Moses has been up in that mountain now for several weeks. And the people have become concerned. Remember the mountain. 
It's a mysterious place to them. When God came down from heaven upon that mountain, the whole mountain was on a smoke, the Bible says, and the smoke rose as if from a furnace. The area quaked around the mountain. There was lightning and thunder and a blasting of trumpets. And God spoke to the people from the mountain. And they said, whatever you have said, we will do. So the mountain was a mysterious place. And scholars believe that even while Moses was up there, though all the other phenomena is not listed, it is likely that the cloud of God was there and that there would be flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. So into that mysterious place, Moses had gone. Moses had gone up to the top to be with God. He had been accompanied by Joshua, and Joshua had gone up, not quite to the top. God and Moses were alone on the mountain. Moses went up into that mysterious place and had not returned. Maybe he was dead. Maybe he did something wrong and God destroyed him. Or maybe he simply wasn't coming back. They didn't know. And they were concerned. The delay of Moses' return became the occasion of backsliding among the people. They felt they could no longer wait. They were impatient. I wrote a couple questions down here trying to enter into their minds. So I asked these questions to you. How would you feel if your prophet was dead? How would you feel if the one you were following no longer was there to lead? How would you feel if everything was taking longer than what you thought it would? You should be in the promised land by now. There's a delay. So the prophet is dead, there's a delay, you're not in the promised land, and you have these questions. They became restless, and they demanded Aaron to make us gods that shall go before us. They said, as for this man Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. What's wrong with this picture? Well, number one, their, re their religion was following God's prophet instead of following God. Number two, the prophet was no longer with them, and so they naturally looked for someone else to follow. And this made them vulnerable to the suggestions, ideas, and philosophies of other people. You see, had they remembered God, had they placed their faith in God, had they trusted in God's words, this whole episode would not have happened. We read, we read on, verse 2. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. 
There are many scholars that say Aaron was trying to demonstrate to the people, this is going to cost you. Are you sure you want to do this? And it was kind of a sideways way of trying to stop them from doing this. Aaron will study in the future did not have the strength of character to tell the people no. So he's trying to do this in an overt fashion, but it's going to cost you a lot of money. Doesn't matter. Boom. Took off their jewelry. Boom. Took it off their kids. Handed it in. They were wanted to buy a God. We need someone to lead us. So, they did it. Verse 4. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, there's just, it fascinates me how some things never change in the course of human history. This happened 3,400 years ago. And those people who we never know who they are, but they're always saying something. They say, they say, you notice that? It's in our conversation now. Well, you know, they say, who are those people? Well, here, there's a group. They said, they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. That tells us that of the two million people there, not all of them are involved in the initiation of this process. There's a group that is. They said, this is your God, O Israel. But because the people had had confidence in a man instead of in God, they were vulnerable to it. They put all their emphasis in the prophet instead of the Lord. And the prophet wasn't there. And so they went along with it. They went right along with it. And what was wrong with it? Think about it. What was wrong with it anyways? Hold your hand here and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 had been spoken to the people already. Here are the Ten Commandments. We're looking at the Second Commandment, verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not make a graven image of anything that is in heaven or earth. Well, some have taken this to an extreme, extreme saying we shouldn't have artwork and all that kind of stuff, but God had something in particular in mind regarding this law. Some scholars say that when you have an image of God or of heaven, it's just used to help stimulate the thought processes so you can reach out to God by viewing that image or looking at it. But there's a problem with it. And we'll see it as we go on. Look at verse 5, chapter 32. We're back there. Chapter 32, verse 5. 
So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now Aaron's still trying to get them to think about God in heaven. But they're not thinking about God in heaven. It's not working. Here's why. One of the problems with an idol and worshiping God by using an image is that it confines God to a point in time. It confines God to a place. And God is everywhere. And God is all the time. And he cannot be contained in an object or a box. Idolatry always puts God in a box, in a manageable form, so he can be carried around, he can be explained, he can be defended if needed, and he can be protected. God in a box is the best that humans can do, religious-wise, because then they have control. God is not God when he's in a box. Idolatry creates a God that is only as big as the imagination of the people who have created it. We go to Exodus 32 verses 7 and 8 and we see here in the very story an interesting thing. The Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses is up on the mountain. God is talking to him. But God knows what is going on down in the valley. God was there. He knew all that was happening. He knew what was going on in China at the time. He knew what was going on in South America. He knew what was going on in India. God cannot be confined to time. God cannot be confined to space. God is everywhere. And He is all-powerful. Well, what happens? Let's go to verse 6. Oh, excuse me. I need to repeat something here. The prophet was gone. And the people turned from worshiping an almighty God to worshiping a God who could be confined, explained, and defended if necessary. And guess what? They were willing to sacrifice money to make a God of their own devising. Verse 6. And they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. They were so excited about worship, they could hardly sleep the night before, and they awoke early to get started on worshiping their new gods. By the way, how did your day start today? I mean, did you jump out of bed 15 minutes ahead of the alarm clock and say, Yahoo, we're going to church today? Yeehaw! Can't wait! Well, these folks did. They couldn't wait. They were excited about it. And it goes on to say what happened. It says in the end of verse 6, sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That sounds so innocent. They rose up to play. Well, we have lots and lots of children here 
that are listening. And so I can't ex describe to you what it meant that they rose up to play. But I'll let the Bible share with you what, uh, what happened as Moses came down the mountain and he saw Joshua. Joshua is alarmed because he hears noise in the camp. Watch what, let's, let's look at that, verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. There's a war going on down there. Moses said, it is not the voice of those who shout in victory, nor is it the voice of those who cry out in defeat, but the voice of those who sing that I hear. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Play, rose up to play, means they rose up and expressed unbridled passion. Unbridled passion. And in the heathen communities back in that day, it was unbridled passion. If you need an explanation about that, I'll be happy to talk to you after church. But I'm not going to describe it for our young listening audience. So what had happened? Let's review. First of all, their prophet was gone. They lost their prophet. And because they depended on the prophet instead of the word of God, they became vulnerable to suggestions, ideas, and philosophies of other people. They were bothered that there was a delay. Things shouldn't have taken this long. We shouldn't be in the promised land by now. But we're not. So, they confined God to their explanations. They gave money to make Him and were willing to defend Him if needed. Today, we would say, they put God into a box. And all this was done because there was a delay of time. Their journey to the Promised Land was not going as they thought it should. Their impatience was the catalyst for all that happened. Rather than looking to God for morality, rather than looking to God for right thinking, rather than looking to God for behavior, they moved with the culture of the combined population and ended up with sensual pleasure masquerading as religion. Please turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is not in a box. God cannot be contained. He cannot even be defined. He doesn't need defending and He doesn't need to be carried around. We need to listen to Him and not the vain philosophy, philosophies of man. And it says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And what we, what they needed is what we need 
We need patience. And isn't it interesting that when God's people are described in the last days, it says here is the patience of the saints. Incredible. We need to be focused on God, to be focused on His Word, and stop listening to they said. All I want to know is what He said. How about you? There's a beautiful song. It's a prayer, actually. Crying out to God to be drawn close to Him. And as we come to a conclusion of our worship experience today, we're going to invite the musicians to come up. And they're going to lead us in singing that prayer. And so I ask you to stand as we, from our hearts, ask God to draw us close to Him.